What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, What's Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. All right, Russ, once I heard our guest today, Gino Barbaro, was Italian, he puts money into whole life to invest in businesses and real estate. I was done. This is my soulmate. I, I found it. This is this is the guy. What I, I, you take I saw that you're a little love struck after that. No. Hey, here's what I got, man, is that to be a better investor, we have to invest in ourselves. We have to realize that our mindset dictates our thought processes of what really is possible. How do we keep crushing through those ceilings? If you've ever seen someone that continues to go up, up, and up, and you don't ever see this downward trend that most people self-sabotage themselves, it's going through, how do we become better investors? How do we invest in ourselves to do that? And he teaches us through this episode how there's three specific ways that he's been able to do that in the very specific class in the real estate business that he's been in but it applies in all different investments. I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. Let's jump in right now with Gino Barbaro. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, welcome to the show, Mr. Gino Barbaro. So glad to have you, my friend. Joey and Russ, it's a pleasure to be on, guys. How you doing? Man, I, better to be with you, man. You and you and Jake, man, just have built some fantastic stuff. I mean, you guys have built a property management company, an education company, a podcasting. Uh, you guys have been like the OGs in the podcast space, you know, but uh, also a very substantial amount of real estate for yourself. So, man, we're excited to have this conversation. I, I want to ask this question kind of out of the gate because if I'm Digging into your 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 team and what you guys are about, I know that you guys teach on how to get into the multifamily space, like specifically train people who want to become operators. But if I am on the treadmill right now and I'm like, Russ, I am a physician, I'm a highly paid you know professional, I only want to be a passive investor. Why should I continue to listen to Gino for the rest of this interview? How would you answer that question? It was 2005. I'm sitting in my restaurant in the parking lot and pulls in a gentleman driving a gold Maserati. Let's name him Maserati Mike. And I'm sitting there and I had the same thought. I'm like, I'd like to invest passively. Maserati Mike, you've got a mobile home park. Let me invest $172,000 into your mobile home park. Great. I'm a passive investor. I didn't go down to look at the deal. I didn't know what underwriting was. A cap rate? I thought a cap rate was something you put on your head. I had no idea. Cash on cash? Walking a property? Partnerships? 
syndications. I don't need any of that. I'm going to be passive. I'm not going to do anything. Well, 18 months later, Maserati Mike pulls right back into the parking lot and says, I'm sorry, lost your $172,000. It didn't really go that way, but you know how it goes. And then I get the attorneys and I get the money and I get an attorney bill for 10 grand and I still lose the money. So for those of you that are contemplating to invest in real estate, don't fall into the trap of the Maserati Mikes of the world. You need to learn real estate as a business. It's a scalable business, but you need to learn the skills. Even if you're a passive investor, you still need to understand to buy the asset properly, how are you going to finance it, and ultimately how you're going to manage it. And on top of that, what are your investor goals? What are you trying to achieve? What are the different ways to get into real estate? These are all things that you're not taught. And I've got so many countless stories of members who joined Jake and Gino after they've invest, you know, invested as a limited partner saying, huh, if I'd been with you, you know, a year ago, I definitely would not have invested in that syndication because I didn't know about what a sponsor was. I didn't know about markets. I didn't know about immediate incomes. I didn't know about any of that stuff. I just said, hey, it's like a mutual fund. I'll put money in there and it'll grow. It's passive, right? It may be passive to you investing, but you need to do a lot of that homework on the front end. And once you do it on the front end and you understand what you're trying to accomplish, then you look out for certain you know, syndicators or sponsors or operators that align with what you're trying to accomplish. And to me, you know, Russ, that's the most important thing. People look at it as an expense. And I always think to myself, I used to back in the day when I didn't have money and I didn't have the skills. But once I learned, I'm going to be investing $100,000 into a deal or $50,000 into a deal. And I want to continue to repeat that and become successful. Well, let me learn how to do that from somebody who's done it before. Not only am I hearing the, the sweet sound of another Italian on the call with us today on the on the podcast for us i'm also hearing a guy that is beating the drum for no more wall street how did somebody get to that mindset of oh i'm going to put money in a deal just like a mutual fund it was you know you were groomed to think that way right wall street gave you that mindset and what i'm hearing you say is man this is the beginning of an education to become an investor not just have money invested in a deal, be an investor means you got to understand the components of the deal. So man, all right, tribe immediately, you should have some, some takeaways from what Gino just said, but Gino, that's not where it stopped, right? That's where the, it began. So what was like the next iteration for you from Maserati Mike to becoming now what you're doing uh, today, educating people in this whole process? I, I think the next iteration was I looked on the bookshelf and I found two books that really resonated. The first one was T. Harv Eker's Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And for those of you on here trying to find out strategies and secrets and tips, come to jakeandgino.com. We'll teach you multifamily. But before you do that, you need to do the work on yourself. And T. Harv Eker, when I first read the book, I'm going to be honest, I wanted to punch the guy in the face. You know, Ironically, I, I interviewed him about four years ago, and I'm like, bro, you saved my life. But at the time I was reading it, I was really defensive. Who does this guy think he is? How does he know me? What is this fruits in the roots? I'm working really hard here. But when I really distilled it down, he's right. All the actions that I took up until that day, that was my results. I needed to learn how to create value. I needed to learn what a financial blueprint was. 
I need to needed to know what my money thermostat was. Why is Donald Trump in the in the billions? Why is Elon Musk in the billions? Why is Jeff Bezos in the billions? Why was Gino in the hundreds of thousands? There was a real answer to that. I didn't create value and I had a lot of learning beliefs. The next book um, was Garrett Gunderson. I've interviewed him a couple of times. I love his book, you know, Killing Sacred Cows. That was the journey I had done a couple of years before that to get rid of the 529s, to get rid of the 401ks. I don't want to be in business with the government. They can change their mind anytime they want. I don't want to have my money locked in for the next 30 years at opportunity cost. I started putting money into whole life as another vehicle. Businesses, whole life, and real estate. Those are our three buckets that we like to really focus on. I don't like the Ponzi scheme of stocks. Listen, if you're a stock person, learn how to buy them, learn how to finance them, and learn how to manage them. It's the same mindset, but you need to do it full time. But for me, less tax benefits, there's less control because if Elon goes out and throws a tweet, I don't even know if it's called a tweet anymore, but if he says something, his stock can lose value 20%. I don't have the control. I'd rather have a building where I have 10 residents there paying me rent. I can sell the building. I can raise rents. It's a nice stable asset. It's food, clothing, and apartments. It's a basic human need. That's what I love about it. And you know all the different benefits, whether the scalability, you're talking about tax benefits, you're talking about principal pay down, cycle resiliency, the list goes on and on. But to your, to your point, to, the, to round out the question, it really came down to those two books. And really, I, I read those and I took them to heart and I just wanted to create something for myself. I wanted to build something for myself and for my family that was sustainable, that I could create legacy and create wealth. And and stock market, 401ks, 529s, I'll sum it up this way, guys. I learned the middle class mindset was to save for an event. I'm going to save for my kid's college. I'm going to save for, for retirement, which is a scarcity mindset. What I learned as an entrepreneur and as someone who wants to strive to have that mindset of the wealthy is to save your money, to buy an asset, to pay for that event. And what I did with our very first deal, our 25 unit deal with Jake, it was a $600,000 deal. We bought it back in 2013. That deal we still own. On average, that deal produces eight to $10,000 of cash flow per month. That one deal. If you split that up, I'm getting about 2,500 bucks a month in cash flow. That deal has put my first daughter through college. My second, my second child is going to be graduating this, this semester. I've paid with college from that one asset. I'm going to continue to pay all of my kids' college with that one asset. Now, if I had a hundred grand in a you know self-directed IRA or I'm sorry, a 529 plan, that money would evaporate it. But that's the power to buy an asset that will pay for the events. Man, we could spend a whole podcast just on what you did, just went through there, just unpacking all of those things. So the mindset, how, how do we determine how to change the the temperature on the thermostat instead of being the thermometer, right? So many of us are just the thermometer. We're, we're, we're getting hot or cold depending on the situation. We don't understand how to change the temperature. And it's because we haven't been educated. We haven't spent the time to invest. Like you said, expense, what's the investment into ourselves? reading those books, listening to those podcasts, going and educating ourselves on how to become a better investor. Cause there's truly no good or bad investments. It's just good about investors, right? That's our friend Robert Kiyosaki, just sharing that message that we repeat over and over again. I love every bit of what you just said there, Gita. So let's unpack this part about understanding how to buy right. Well, first 
you said the thing about the kids college, which is, I just got to point this out. So many of us are, have kids that are, are at that age about to go to college. And we've been trying to figure out that piece. And I shared this with you too. Last night, I'm sitting there with my daughter who just got a full ride to go um, to, to a local college, excited for her, man, so impressed by the things that she did. She got three different scholarships. The last one she got actually paid for everything. So those two are I'm done neat. Here's the question she asked me, Gio. Hey, Dad, I know we've been doing something with this whole life insurance stuff, sort of like what Gio just said. What do we do with that money? What do we do with that money that no longer... You know, did you have that earmark for college? I was like, I didn't have an earmark for college. I had an earmark for investment. If you're going to use it to invest in college, that's what you're going to invest it in. Well, obviously, we've been investing in short-term rentals for you. We're looking at buying an e-commerce brand right now, something, a digital site so that you can invest it. So we've been looking for it. So it wasn't earmarked for one thing. It was an investment opportunity. I love that you just reiterated that whole thing. Let's talk about the buying right, because you said that multiple times. No matter what you're going to invest in, you have to figure out how to buy right. For you, you talked about the first deal, the 2013 deal, the deal that continues to spit off. I think you said 8000 a month. Yep. How, how did you guys know how to buy that right? How do you teach people how to buy things right? What is the key ingredients within that? The I will jump into that in two seconds, but what you said was profound, and I think we skipped over it. It's the limiting beliefs and the mentality of how Gino gets to buy in that very first deal. I can teach you the mechanics about the buy right criteria. I'm going to do that. But I would challenge everybody to read the book, The Psychology of Money. You need to understand what your relationship with money is. For me, I was a really good saver. I'm an Italian, Joey. Italians, they come over, immigrants, we like to save. The problem is we don't like to touch because we need to live in that scarcity because we're saving for a rainy day. And that is good and that's responsible. But that also was stopping me from investing in real estate. And, you know, I had my mom there. She was protective of me. Don't get into partnership with Jake. You, you can't buy these assets. I had accumulated 200 units before I told her. And this is a woman that I was working with six days a week, right? And I was able to keep that secret because if I know I had told her, she would dampen the spirits. So you need to understand the relationship that you have with money. And you need to do some work on yourself. Because it's very interesting when people get into investing, they make some money and then all of a sudden they may lose it. Well, what's going on there? Are you sabotaging yourself? Are you, do you have a healthy relationship with money? Myself, on the other hand, I'm really good at making it. I'm really good at growing it. And sometimes I have a difficult time spending it on myself and enjoying it. That's another scarcity mindset. So you have to work on it. What's the sense of making money and not enjoying it? So for me, I can spend it on my kids, but sometimes I'm a little bit of a miser on myself. So you need to work on yourself, work on why we're trying to make money. And in that book, Morgan Housel talks about autonomy. What we're really trying to accomplish is autonomy, which is really having the ability to get on a podcast with Joey and Russ in the middle of the afternoon and not having to worry about working, right? Creating your own choices. Money is the result. Money will lead to autonomy to have those choices the autonomy in the book, and I agree with Morgan, will ultimately lead to your happiness. That's what I think people don't understand. When we're not financially free, we're trying to pay the bills and trying to make the money. We don't understand, at least to us, and I think we can all agree on this, financial freedom is something where we can start having our own choices. And if we can have choices in life and we can decide to get on a podcast anytime we want to, that leads to me to ultimate true happiness and, and to true freedom. So read the book, understand what the psychology and the relationship that you have with money is, because there may be some blocks. Because that money thermostat, why is it set at 100,000? 
It should be set higher, but I'm not here to tell you at what it should be set at. That's what happens. And then I ultimately went to coaching school. I became a life coach. A lot more personal development happened. And then ironically, I'm making more in like the last two or three years than I've made in my entire adult life. That doesn't make sense, but it really does once you understand the relationship you have and how you can live in abundance and how you can shatter those limiting beliefs and start working with others. That's the, that's the importance of that. But for the buy rate criteria, when you're buying an asset or you're buying a business, you have to have a criteria to buy. And in multifamily specifically, you're looking for us. I'm going to speak for us uh, specifically. When you're buying an asset, we're looking at median income you know, of the area. We're looking at size. How many units can you buy? Is it 10 units to 300 units? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at age. Is it a 1980s vintage and newer? Are we looking at brick, hardy plank, pitched roofs? We like washer and dryer. Those are amenities that we like. We like two-bedroom townhomes with garages. Now, that's specific to multifamily. And the reason why you want to do that is you're focusing in, you're able to talk to brokers and to potential investors and let them know what you're looking for. And it's the same in any business. If you take stocks, let's take stocks, for instance. You have a buy right criteria for stocks. Are you a value investor? Are you looking for PEs? Are you a dividend investor? Are you looking for you know, co- you know, companies that have you know 5% dividend yields? Are you looking for growth companies? Are you looking for companies that have the ability to grow in the next 10 years, but may not make money for the next 10 years. Understanding yeah. what you're trying to buy is so important. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to wealthwhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Gino, I got to step in as a, a, you know, paisano here. Nobody listening to this show is wanting to invest in stocks. <laughs> I mean, oh, speaking of math, go no, on to the make sure. Okay. You're, you're the wondering example, if they invest in like um, uh, earmuffs. That's what you exactly. want to say. You say that they say, do you okay, want You're cursing on our show right now. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, I'll take it into the business realm. Let me take it into the business realm. You're buying a business. It's very. It's a similar thing. When you're buying a business, what are you trying to accomplish with that business? Like, are you trying to buy a business at an EBITDA? What what what's the what's the earnings that you're trying to buy it at? What's the growth potential you're buying at? What's the market you're buying it in? Who are the customers you're trying to serve? If you have that criteria, all of a sudden everything else goes by the wayside, and you're focusing on that one opportunity. And when it comes, the broker is going to call you to actually land the deal, and then you know ultimately it's going to be the right fit for you. Unfortunately. In real estate, and even in the business world, there's market cycles. So market cycles will shift and your buy right criteria shifts because when Jake and I started back in 2013, we were buying older assets because the pricing was a lot cheaper. They were a lot less expensive. As the market cycled up, those older assets have gotten a lot more expensive. The newer assets are pretty close in price. So why would I buy an older asset? So that's why you really need to be locked in 
to the market and what's going on. But if you don't focus on a criteria, you're going to think everything's an opportunity. And when everything's an opportunity, nothing is an opportunity. Uh, very, very true. And that it is definitely interesting as we look through the different asset classes we can have, we have to understand that criteria. And I think that's why we take people through Gino and our process to narrow down the two different types of things that meet their uh, investment DNA. And then they can build yes. this investment buy box around that. And in yes. that buy box, you should be having the specific criteria. The more specific you can get, the more you can tell the world. And most people are like, how does Gino and Jake and Joey, how do they get access to all these deals? It's because you're letting the world know specifically what you're interested in. And once you do that, people want to help. We're just natural helpers, right? Most of the time, people aren't helping because they have no idea that you need help. They don't even know how to help you. Don't know they what to solve, you, right? They want to solve your problem for you. So I'll, let's go into the second point here. You talked about financing and right now, hot topic, right? We're we're in a, a, a higher interest rate environment than we've been in like last 25 years, right? Clearly, for most people that are in the investment game today, they might be experiencing what they would believe is astronomical rates, right? Just rates that are crazy. So we're talking about financing, right? What are some of those criteria? What are some of those steps that you're helping your students through, especially um, given the current rate environments? We focus on long-term fixed rate financing. In commercial financing, it's different than residential. We have these deals, these terms on these on these loans. And what's happened in the last several years, something called bridge financing has become vogue. It's come into, into play because there's so much competition and people are buying deals that were stabilized on this bridge financing. And we called it three years ago. I'm going to pat myself on the back because we haven't done any bridge financing deals, although we've lost opportunities because the assets were bid up. So you take this short-term bridge debt, which is either two or three years, and you know two or three years ago, do you remember where rates were? They were three, three and a half percent. Well, now as this debt starts to expire and comes due, where are rates right now? Eight, eight and a half percent. So the risk is if you don't get moving, you're in big trouble. Two big ways to lose money in real estate. You either run out of time or you run out of capital. And those investors right now are running out of time, which creates an opportunity for those of us who didn't take that risky debt. We use something called, whether it's a credit union or a community bank, we'll use their kind of financing where the term is five years. After five years, it either balloons, you got to pay the entire loan and or it'll reset to prime plus a certain amount. But it gives us five years to stabilize that asset. It gives us five years to reposition it and to be able to go out and either to sell it or to go out and to refinance a property to longer term debt. So it's important when you do bridge financing, if you're not an experienced operator, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't read the fine print, because bridge financing is very expensive, it's non-recourse, but at the same time, non-recourse means it's not on your personal balance sheet. You're not personally guaranteeing it, but at the same time, you are guaranteeing it at the same time, you lose the deal, you'll never, you'll, it's going to be very difficult to do another deal multifamily, but people fell enamored with that. But the fees are exorbitant and those time restrictions are very onerous because as that debt goes from three to eight or nine, your, your cost of capital triples. And then all of a sudden your, your debt payments skyrocket. And unfortunately, you know, two years ago, rents were going up 15, 20% a year. Rents have really tapered off for the most part. 
and expenses have, have really exploded with insurance and taxes and labor. So you're getting a triple whammy. So just be very careful with that finance right that you're financing a deal. And then Russ, I think the last thing I'd say is right now, creative financing is going to come into play because debt is the circulatory engine of the economy. And as debt pulls back and things become a lot harder to finance, we have a lot of operators out there who are motivated to sell. They've got a lot of equity. So creative financing strategies such as seller financing and master lease options, those are two strategies that haven't worked so much in the last five or six years. But you know, over the last year, year and a half to the next, I think 12 to 18 months, it's going to be a very viable option. It's going to be a great option to close some real estate deals. I think what you're saying there too is that how those two points go together, how finance right goes with buy right, like those who understand the finance game, understands the potential pressures that the person selling to them might be under, might oper may create an opportunity for the buy right. If you yeah. know that someone has in has a, a you know an adjustable rate that is about to expire, they are under a lot of pressure to get that deal done. Yes. And and the price starts to really go down in that environment because they know if they hold it past that point, they're going to be losing way more money than they're giving up on price. That's super interesting. Joy, you had something to say. Well, I just wanted to ask you, Gino, um, in the I know in the residential side, it's it's kind of becoming more vogue for the subject to gate, right? Uh, what about in the multifamily side specifically? Are you seeing deals like that coming around, and and are they more plentiful? Or, or it's a great question. I'm not a big. I'm not a. I don't really understand the subject to in the residential. I don't really follow that. I'm. I guess you're taking it subject to the loan. In multifamily, it's more a function of just seller financing, or 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 a seller carryback. On our very first deal, we had seller carryback. We did eighty percent of the loan from the bank. We got 10% from ourselves as a down payment, and we had 10% from the seller who carried back 10%. So we only had to come up with, on that $600,000, had to come up with $83,000 because there were some closing costs. That carry back of 10%. Now, a true seller finance deal would be 100% of that, of that loan, which is phenomenal. We've only done one of those, the true, but we always use that seller carry back where you get a percentage of it. And it's excellent because you need to come up with less money out of pocket and you're making more return on the money that you have down. Master lease options is another way to go where you're taking over the property, but you're not taking deed to the property. They still own the property. You're just taking over the payments you're taking over and you see it on. On residentials where you're buying them, you know, on on one little, you know, apart one little home, but take imagine taking over an apartment complex with an option price, with the option to be able to buy it in the next three years, but you're running it as is because the owner is so burned out, he can't sell it. You think you're the genius that you could take over the operations and get this thing up and running. Now I don't know if you can or you can't. But a lot of times you can because these owners have been in the thick of things. They've run out of money. They don't want to do it anymore. They're like, here are the keys, but not really because I still own it. I still have title the deed, but you can run this thing. You're trying to put some option money in and try and use the cash flow to get the operations up. And then hopefully the next two to three years, you can go to the, to the, to the seller and say, I'm ready to buy this deal. That's what you see a lot more prevalent in multifamily. And just just so I'm following you on that, this is kind of a new. I mean, I've I've heard that on the residential side, but not didn't realize that was going on in the multifamily. Side. Oh, it's been going on forever. It's just multifamily, Joey. It's not sexy. We're Italians. Italian, Italians are sexy. Multifamily is <laughs> not right. sexy. It's not. It's one of those things where, and and I think you guys will appreciate this. To create wealth, 
It's not sexy. It's boring. It takes time. You don't create wealth by trading Bitcoin. Out of how many? I mean, there are Bitcoin billionaires out there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny it. But what are the odds of that? I mean, there are such greater odds of somebody buying one home a year for the next ten years, waking up and going, "Holy! I just created." But how boring is that? No one's gonna go to a cocktail party and go. I'm buying a house a year. This is great. I'm going to become a millionaire. No, you're going to go, hey, I bought Bitcoin at 20,000. It's at 60,000. That's a sexy story, but you're not going to create wealth that way because then Bitcoin three months from now goes back down to 40. And you know you buy high and you sell low. That's what you typically do in stocks and Bitcoin if you're not in the game. So to me, creating wealth is really a boring game. It's long-term, it's responsibility, it's understanding that you need to defer gratification. When Jake and I started, the first two or three years, we kept making money on these deals and kept rolling it into the next deal, kept rolling it into the next deal. You know, we're able to refinance out our portfolio of over 25 million bucks over the last 10 years. That $25 million is just going into buying more deals. That's how you find the money for the next deal. It's not the Lambos and all. And I understand if you want to do that, great. But you have to create wealth. At some point, you can either create wealth or create excuses. We decided to ourselves, hey, let's continue our W-2 jobs until there's a point where we can leave and we can live off the real estate. But until that point, everything we made into the real estate went back into the real estate. I know that's not sexy, but that is the blueprint to creating wealth. Well, there, there's success in building a system, right? And having a system where you can turn active income into passive income yes. on a repeatable basis while you sleep is what you're preaching. Uh, try, by the way... Uh, Gino is going to share a lot of stuff with us and and give us access to stuff. So if you want to get all the links, access to books, any of the stuff that he talks about, go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash Jake and Gino, and we'll have all those things there. Let's talk about the third point, Gino, the manage right. And and that's a hard part, right? So so few of us um, are really good at the follow through. Maybe we're a startup, right? That we listen to podcasts, we get excited, we'll go buy. Maybe not right. Hopefully we'll buy right. Maybe we can figure out the finance part because again, that there's a a little effort that gets to put there. But the advantage right is the long term. That's how you see success over long periods of time. Mm-hmm. How does one manage right? Well, the first thing they need to do is to join Jake and Gino because if you've got several assets, it, it's challenging. We've had a lot of students come on and go, "I'm buying these deals. I don't know how much money I'm making," and that makes me just get a little nervous because it's like, stop buying, don't outgrow your infrastructure. And understand how to run these as a business. If you can't measure it, then you can't manage it. And I learned that the hard way. Every business has KPIs, key performance indicators. And I think you need to set them up in your business. Now, multifamily has the ability for you to create your own property management company. That's what Jake and I did. We started managing our assets by ourselves. I think we're kinesthetic learners. We learn by doing, especially Jake. So how do you learn to manage your properties? You start taking them over yourself. And then that's a great way for you to exit your business because you're creating active income through property management and you're able to sustain a lifestyle like that and learn the business. But at the same time, you have the asset manager and the property manager. There's two different functions. Property management can be done in-house or you can hire third-party property management. You still need to keep that person accountable. And that's what key performance indicators are. All the different documents that we use, we use what we call a weekly pulse where every week we send out our KPIs. We have what we call a cadence of accountability where we have weekly calls with our property managers. We have daily huddles 
We have quarterly priorities, all those things you need to build into a business. And I'm preaching the business choir right now. This is not just multifamily because when you go across the spectrum in any business that you're looking for, if you don't have these, it's truly important that you need to set them up. Remember, I don't know if I shared it, but I was the pizza guy. I had a restaurant in New York. That's how I started. And I had a restaurant for over 20 years. I had one restaurant for 20 years. When I got in with Jake, we owned over 700 units within the first five or six years of our journey. Now, how does that, how do you do that? Well, it was number one, the mindset. Number two, that money thermostat. And number three, it really was KPIs, systems, processes. I think three things we always stress is people, systems, and culture. Those three things will drive your business. And I think they encapsulate what the manager is all about. Well, Jake, uh, and Gino show is where you need to be going to get this information. And if you're not already following them, we encourage you to do that. Gino, I, I love this conversation. I'm hopeful that maybe we can get you to come and teach some of this at one of our upcoming Inner Circle Live events, putting a plug in there, Stallion, for that. Because I think this is something that so many people have been interested into getting into the multifamily space, learning how to do it, whether they are active or passive, as you said. I think there's a, a value to being able to understand how to do those three things right, how to buy right, how to finance right, how to manage it right. And it all starts with, like you said, having a better psychology around money and building the system to make it work. So Gino, thank you so much for coming on the show. So a pleasure to be with like-minded people. Uh, you, you shared some of the guys that are also uh, you know, friends of our show. So we're, we're grateful. If others want to connect with you outside of the whatswatwallstreet.com forward slash Jake and Gino, where would you send them to? You know, I would send them to my email because I've got a book right behind me. It's called The Honeybee. And, and as you guys are talking, it's a, a parable that we wrote about building multiple streams of revenue. It would be so appropriate for all of your listeners because there's so many lessons in that book about building those multiple streams like we did from that asset, building the property management, and then from the property management, building the education. Then from the education, building a syndication business, and then various streams of revenue that are all complementary to the business itself. So just email me, Gino at jakeandgino.com. I'll give you a free copy, PDF copy of it as well. And if you want to learn more, just go to jakeandgino.com. So awesome. Man, besides the fact that you're Italian, oh, and this has just been one of my favorite interviews of all time. And like you said, Russ, we got to have we got to have these guys back. We have Jake back another time. And we got to just keep the, the learning going. So Tribe, I hope you got value today. If you did, if you'll go and um, like and share this with others, that's how we continue to beat the algorithm and grow this tribe mm -hmm. day in and day out. And that we value you. We appreciate you. We'll catch you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.